We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to another edition of the Butting Heads Podcast. I'm Steve Ribeiro. I'm here with Johnny Gomez. Guys, it's kind of a somber and sad day here at Butting Heads because as many of you may have learned by logging onto the internet on Sunday and watching some of the post-game commentary, if the refs blow a call near the end of the game, then the win actually doesn't count. So I'd like to be the first to congratulate the New Orleans Saints on their trip to the Super Bowl because as as we all know, the just because the refs made a bad call, that means that the Rams win is invalid, and thus the Saints will be heading to the Super Bowl. Johnny, how, how do you feel, man? It's it's kind of sad. Well, you know, I, I just got off the phone with Roger Goodell. You know, me and him go way back. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to definitely just hand over this victory to the Saints because, you know, no one ever has ever gotten a bad call late in the game. And for that matter... No bad call was was given in this game other than that play. So 
uh, I just got off the phone with Goodell. It looks like we're on the same page. And yeah, you know, of course, as we all know, the only thing that matters in football is one second, which is how long the duration of that play was. So, oh, sorry, seven seconds. So only seven seconds of the game actually matter. And because the Saints got screwed during that seven seconds and couldn't pull out a victory in the other, how long was this game? Like 65 minutes? So the other uh, 64 minutes and 53 seconds. Where Kudos to them. The Saints will be playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, that is not true because the Rams will be playing in the Super Bowl because they won the game 26 to 23 in overtime. So we're very excited about that here. And before we get into everything about this game, because we have actually another week before the Super Bowl happens, so we didn't even have to do a game preview this week. You can find our podcast anywhere you're getting your podcast, guys. You know where you know where it is at this point. Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, and Spotify. If you're listening on somewhere you don't usually listen and you use one of those, get on it and give us a five-star review while you're at it because every review helps, guys. And don't forget to check out our other shows, Rams Talk Radio, great post-game podcast from Derek and Norm yesterday. If you haven't listened to it, uh, definitely give it a listen, and they'll have another good show for you guys this week. And, of course, Rampage Radio, which will be returning this week. So, Johnny, I'm just going to let you have the floor here. Just We're going to the freaking Super Bowl, man. Just give me a reaction. Uh, first off, uh, I, I have to say, Steve, you, you're kind of leaving me high and dry here. I, I was expecting some tequila nearby, <laughs> and you're letting me down, man. I should have mailed I know you some. Like, oh, you did? I should have. I mean, I think we all, oh. I think many of us got our drinking in yesterday from what I would suspect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, alcohol was definitely not a problem. You know, celebrating this victory was by far one of the biggest, biggest uh, moments of 2019. And I don't care if 2019 just began because, you know what, I'm just going to go out and say that it was a big moment for 2018, too. You know what? Screw that. It's be- it's a big moment for 2020. It hasn't even happened yet. Yes, I loved it. It was a huge moment. And it was something that I think, as Ram fans, if you have been a true Ram fan from the start of it and weren't a Cowboy fan before this, I think this was a huge moment for everyone. Steve? (laughs) I had to have a beer after this game just to calm myself down because I think I lost 10 years off my life during this game, dude. And I genuinely think I died during the first quarter. After after we threw that pick, I was just like, we're going to lose by 50. And we didn't. (laughs) So we actually won, which is better. Uh, yeah, man, this was a wild, a wild day of football overall and just an absolutely wild game from bumper to bumper. I mean, we played one of the worst for, first one of the worst quarters of football we've played all year in the first quarter. Our offense looked like they didn't belong on the field. Um, Todd Gurley obviously played horrible in that quarter, topic that we'll definitely get to later, but you know, we walk out of that quarter down 13 to nothing, and which is insane is that kind of felt like a win to get out of there thir- down, only down 13 to nothing. The Saints could have been up 21 to nothing easily, but kudos to our defense for kind of holding it down on the, on those possessions and you know the whole game. I mean, it was a great performance by the Rams after the first quarter. All things considered, you know, you're going against a good defense, a great offense, and probably one of the most intense environments that I've watched in a football game in my life. That place was loud. 
the entire time. You know, you and it's loud on TV, and everything that's loud on TV is definitely louder in person. So I can't even imagine how loud it was for those guys on the field. And Jared Goff is wearing Sean Mannion's helmet in the first quarter. Uh, obviously, I think that's easily why he played bad, not because it wasn't his helmet, but you know the must of the Mannion is in there. Uh, he kind of caught the curse, but. I, I think that's a good place to start, Johnny. I mean, Jared Goff in this game, for how awful and shell-shocked he looked in the first quarter, he rallied hard. He rallied this team, and he rallied himself. We don't win this game without his two huge throws in overtime. He, he was getting – the offensive line did him no favors in overtime. Every time he snapped the ball, guys in his face, and he made two huge completions to Tyler Higbee a guy who we have not talked about on this podcast a lot for obvious reasons because he hasn't really done much this year. Higby makes two huge plays in overtime off great throws by Jared Goff. He got us in the position to get get us in range for Zerline, which, as we know, is basically anything past the logo. And, you know, even before that, he had a dime, absolute dime to Brandon Cooks earlier in the game. He had, uh, you know, just made some great calls, you know, didn't make mistakes. Uh, his only interception in the game, I, I don't think we could blame it on him. He didn't put Gurley in a good position, but, I mean, the ball hit his hands and it bounced, and it's a bad pick, but it's not his fault. I mean, this is the game we've been waiting to see from Goff for a while, since really since the bye week, and, man, I, I am ecstatic about how he played in this game. You know, when you initially started, I was thinking we were going to be talking about uh, Mannion's the Mannion curse, <laughs> and I was I, I was a little disappointed when I when I heard you uh, talking about Jared Goff. I'll give uh, Mannion a break today. We're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, he almost <laughs> lost it for us with his bad helmet, but we we survived. That helmet, man, helmet gate. All right, <laughs> uh, Jared Goff looked like an absolute. Not even a beast. Beast doesn't even cover it. He looked like a badass out there. I was like, where where the hell was this guy, you know, in the last few weeks of the regular season? This guy made elite quarterback passes. He was money, you know. And the receivers, I, I think it even shocked some of the receivers, you know. I think Josh Reynolds, who's a recipient of one of these amazing passes, was like, Holy shit, what a pass, you know? I I just it, it just amazed me how money this uh he was on that game. You know, uh you know, he, he it wasn't even just the completely amazing passes. It was some of his decision making too. You know, and uh, people are going to look at the interception as, you know, oh, Goff, you know, threw an interception. No, no. There was absolutely no goofiness going on in this game. It was all Jared Goff this game. You know, I was proud to see how he adjusted because any normal quarterback would have just, you know, cracked. You know, it was such a terrible start to the game. And, you know, he was able to adjust not only to the poor play, but as you mentioned, the crowd noise. And that's that's unbelievable because, you know, the crowd noise was was deafening in there. Like, I'm pretty sure that Jared Goff's ears were bleeding by the time this game was over. Like, he 
had to overcome so much in this game. And that truly separates good quarterbacks from great quarterbacks. Welcome back, Jared Goff. I never want to see Jared Goof ever again. <laughs> I don't either. And I think, you know, one thing we can point out too is, and I, I kind of mentioned it, the offensive line in this game, I think they played uh, all right. Uh, it definitely wasn't their best performance. But one thing we've been talking about, especially in the Bears and the Eagles games, is that when Jared Goff gets pressured, he kind of folds sometimes and he makes mistakes and he makes bad throws and he doesn't find his guys. And it, he was getting pressured a lot. And a lot of his best throws in this game came from out of the pocket. Uh, we didn't even mention the ball he gave Gerald Everett, who had a hell of a game in you know, the biggest game of that guy's career. He didn't even play big-time college football and he's out here making huge plays in his his second season. I, It's just, man, it was an incredible showing from Jared Goff. I I don't think we could understate how important it was to this game. The numbers, they don't really show how valuable he was, but you watch this game, you knew he made some just saving throws. He he bailed us out a lot after the first quarter where he, whatever the opposite of bailing us out is, that's what he did in the first quarter. But he made up for it, man. And he put us in a position to win this game, and we won the game. So you know, he's a captain for a reason, and he, he showed up in this game. And I was I was real proud to call that guy our quarterback. Without a doubt, I, I, I think that for those of you who were calling for Jared Goff's head, saying that, you know, we need to find another quarterback, somebody that can really uh, play, uh, you guys owe Jared Goff an apology because he just sing- – well, okay, no, let me rephrase that. He didn't single-handedly do it, but he was a big re- part of the reason why the Rams are advancing to the Super Bowl. So I – will definitely say that Jared Goff, um, I, I never really lost faith in him, to be honest with you, just because I know what kind of quarterback he is. And while we hadn't seen the real Jared Goff, the, uh, you know, the last few weeks of the regular season, he just showed everyone why we need to stick with him and stick with him for a long, long time. And just to bail myself out here in case anyone goes and checks my Twitter, uh, I tweeted during the game, trade Goff, SMH. Uh, as a joke when he blew the coin toss in overtime, which, you know, a lot of people have forgotten that that happened because the game ended on the blown pass interference call and the, the Saints never touched the ball again. But <laughs> um, anyway, we'll talk about God more next week, I'm sure, but nothing but positive things even after that abysmal first quarter. I mean, we don't win this game without him. But speaking of abysmal first quarters, Todd Gurley had a bad first quarter. And he didn't come back from it. As a matter of fact, he he didn't really come back at all. We barely saw Todd Gurley after that first quarter. Uh, C.J. Anderson played the majority of the game after. Um, I want to pull up the snap splits here, Johnny, but I'll I'll let you have the floor because you know I I know how I feel about this, and I think I know I, my feelings on why he didn't play. But I mean, what what is your take on this whole situation? Well, with with Todd Gurley, you know he he did struggle in the the first um, well, really the first opening plays, and for that reason, you know Sean McVay would played it a little safer and went with C.J. Anderson, who you know had a had a decent game, not necessarily uh, by statistics, but um, but overall had a had a decent game, um, and with with Todd Gurley. I think what we have to remember is 
you know, we're, we're playing against a really tough elite defense, uh, particularly on the ground. You know, this is a team that hasn't allowed much on the ground for any team, really. And, you know, the, the first time they had met, Todd Gurley was limited. I, if I'm not mistaken, back in week nine, he had like 63 yards, give or take, you know, something like that. But um, regardless, you know, that, you know, that didn't surprise me too much just because I kind of figured that if things weren't going real well on the ground, the Rams were going to try and focus, you know, through the air, which they kind of did in the first game too. You know, the first game, they didn't really establish a rhythm and until really late in the game. And the same thing kind of happened here too. The only difference is they played a little bit smarter, played, um, played more with more confidence, I'd say, in the passing game. And, you know, with, with Gurley, I didn't think it was a bad thing. It wasn't. It didn't say a lot, you know, against Gurley. It was just, you know, it wasn't his game. You know, it happens and, you know, it was overdue for Gurley, I guess. So I, I'll say that, you know, I don't lose faith in Gurley for any – if anyone has lost faith in Gurley because this is a guy that will be a one-two punch – um, down the road, and I could see that happening against a certain opponent in the Super Bowl. So, I don't know, Steve, what do you think? I was surprised by, like, how confused people were about this whole thing. And that's that's not to say that, um, it's not to say that it was the right call why that he wasn't in the game, but I... I can't believe that like people are struggling to, to comprehend what was happening. So I'm I'm just gonna spell it out for everybody. Todd Gurley, yeah, he's an all pro. He's one of the best players in the league. He he should be on the field. But CJ Anderson added a new wrinkle into this offense that they didn't have, and the two only played one game together. Now they played together last week, and Todd Gurley played good. CJ Anderson was better in that game. He he looked better. Uh, when he got the ball, I think he performed better. That's not to say Gurley was bad. That's just to say Anderson was really good. Teams aren't as prepared for him as they are for Gurley, and he's you know, he's bringing some of the offense they didn't have. Now this week we come out. Todd Gurley comes out. He looks terrible. He drops two passes. One of them turned into that big interception. He he gets the ball a couple times. Doesn't do much. And C.J. Anderson comes in. He didn't look great either. But he looked better. Uh, I think he's a better pass protector, which is a big part of why he stays in on passing plays. Uh, Gurley, he, he held his own in pass protection. He missed missed one. He made one here and there. But in I, everyone was saying Gurley's got to be hurt. Something's got to be wrong. I don't think he was hurt. If he was hurt, he wouldn't have came back into the game in the fourth quarter. I think this was just simply they put in Anderson. He does a little better. The offense starts to turn it around. McVay was felt more comfortable going with Anderson in this game. I Like you said, I don't think it's a knock on Gurley. He's going to start the Super Bowl. I'm sure he's going to get the ball plenty. And I, I think it's going to be just same old business after that, more like it was against the Cowboys in terms of splits. But Todd Gurley only played five less snaps than C.J. Anderson in this game. And see, it felt like that Anderson played so much more because he was he touched the ball way more, obviously. Uh, 16 carries for Anderson, only four for Gurley. But he, I don't know, man. It just it seemed pretty clear to me that they, McVay just felt more comfortable with Anderson. And if people had watched the game last week, I don't think it, it's surprising, yeah, that you have a first-team All-Pro on the bench, but it, it's not shocking, and I get why he did it. Uh, personally, when we started to 
when we started to slow down a little bit in between the third and the fourth quarters, that's when I would have liked to see Gurley get mixed back in. And he did get mixed in a little bit, but I don't think as much as we would have all hoped. And obviously it didn't matter. We won the game, and I think we'll see him next week. I don't think this is a big, a huge deal. I, I don't know if it was the right or the wrong call. The stats don't really prove it either way. I mean, Anderson, uh, he gave us a little jolt, but to the degree that they kept him in, I don't. I wouldn't say it was the right call. Uh, you can't really necessarily say it's the wrong call either. I just, it was, I was surprised by how many people thought like something was wrong. Yeah, there, there's definitely nothing wrong. I, I, I just seriously think that. They wanted to roll with Anderson here. Um, as you said, he's kind of the hot hand. So I, I think, you know, once we go into the uh, preview for um, uh, in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, Gurley having more of a role in this game because there, there's a reason why, you know, Gurley and even Anderson to an extent didn't see the ball too much because – Really, we knew going into this game that it was going to be tough on the ground because this is one of the best run defenses in the league. So, you know, don't push the panic button just yet because, uh, you know, it, it's not even it's not even saying, you know, that Gurley had a bad game against Dallas because uh, in Dallas he he performed very, very well. You know, it, it was just overshadowed by, you know, a better game from Anderson and I think moving forward, we'll see this kind of duo excel just depending on what, what defenses they're playing. Yeah, I think in you know, a Super Bowl, ideally, we get the run game a little going. But like you said, one of the best run defenses in the league. Uh, it's it's no big deal that it didn't really work out as well as you'd hope in this game. But I don't know, man. It's It was just surprising me that how, how people reacted to this. But... Gurley, he was in high spirits after the game. Um, you know, he was happy they're going to the Super Bowl. He's, I'm sure he's excited to play in the Super Bowl. And he, if anyone saw his Instagram, he posted a Photoshop photo of him and a ref swapping jerseys, which I, I thought was hilarious. I think everyone did. But, <laughs> Johnny, I think it's about time we get into all of that. But before we do, guys... Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the, the Rams' history with a bit of a personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. This book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman with the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out a son's story of his father and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. That includes guys like Norm Van Brocklin, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter, and this story spanning the 1950s LA Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available on both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also find Hollywood Team through various other booksellers on the internet. Guys, we're making history in two weeks. We're going to the Super Bowl for the fourth time in franchise history. This team competed for some championships before that, and if you want to learn more about that era of Los Angeles Rams football, you're going to want to check out this book, Hollywood Team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by our friend Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. Okay, so obviously a big story about this game was the 
not called pass interference call late in the game. Uh, obviously, if you don't remember this, I'm not sure why you're listening to this podcast, but on third down, critical third down, the Saints threw a pass, and Nickel Roby Coleman clearly passed interference, but the refs didn't call it. I guess their excuse was that they believed the ball got tipped. Uh, obviously, it did not um, from what we saw. But, yeah, so, Chaddy, before we kind of talk or Actually, I'm going to go through play-by-play what led up to this. Do you want that first, or do you want to talk about it first? You know what? Uh, I, I, I got to get the juices flowing on this one because, uh, yeah, it's it's still kind of an interesting dilemma for me. So go through it play-by-play. So, yeah, I want to I wanna give the lead-up to this play just so we have all the facts because I'm going to talk about them later. Before For the Saints to get into this position, they got a huge deep ball from Drew Brees to Ted Ginn, thanks to some who was double teamed by Cape Tlaib and LaMarcus Joyner. Tlaib got beat a little bit. That's why Joyner's there. Joyner is the guy that's supposed to save him. And if we learn anything from watching the Saints in the playoffs last year, then it's that you just knocked the ball down instead of going for the play. And Joyner went for the play. Timed the ball horribly. Did not get it. Should have been easily a knockdown. It wasn't. Ginn caught it. Whatever. First down, under two minutes. The Rams have three timeouts. And the Saints throw a slant route incomplete. Um, it, it's a gimme field goal range. The game is tied. I don't know why they throw that pass. Second down, run it. A normal play call. Didn't go for a lot, but the Rams use a timeout. Third down, they do the same. Th- they throw another pass. A terrible play call that almost got bailed out by Nick Elroby Coleman being an idiot, and they didn't call it. So there you go. The Rams get out of there with two timeouts and a decent amount of time on the clock. They score, obviously, the rest is history. But what do you – Johnny, I just, just let it roll, man. Okay, so first things first, the non-call, was it was – it, did it actually – affect the game did it actually not happen in this case uh yes the, there was a non-call that affected the game and it should have been called there's no doubt about that that being said i just it, it just completely infuriates me that that this game is being overlooked by this one call or one non-call and don't get me wrong was it a big call absolutely but at the same time I can pull up quite a few non-calls on the Rams side that weren't called but yet this call was the one focused and this is what kind of upset me a little bit about the media because media is only covering that one call why? Why is that? Why is nobody, you know, bringing up the officiating overall? Again, I am not denying the fact that this was, you know, a terrible non-call because, I mean, it was. I mean, Coleman, I, I don't know what was going through his mind there to make him think that that wouldn't be called. Luckily for him, it wasn't. But at the same time, like, why not pull up? how the officiating was throughout the game. I think both sides could agree here 
that the officiating just wasn't on point in this game. It really wasn't. And, you know, a couple of calls that come to mind was I, I seen at least two or three face masks, one of which was on Jared Goff, of all players. I mean, you could almost kind of understand not calling on a running back or a wide receiver. You know, there's a lot going on in that play. But for a, for a league that basically pampers their quarterbacks, how do you miss a face mask on Jared Goff? Oh, by the way, that was on a third down, too. That could have also affected the outcome of the game. So why just this call? It just does not I, – I can't register. I mean, I don't know. May, maybe I'm missing something here. Am I missing something here, Steve? I really don't think I am. No, you're not. But I, my, my thoughts are kind of complicated on this whole thing. Okay. So first of all, yes, the officiating was awful the whole game. And we got screwed a lot early in the first half. Yeah, I think um, the only huge thing that would have affected the game big time was the Goff face mask that wasn't called. Um, but then, you know, later on in the game, the Saints, they they had some things not go their way. Uh, Nicole Roby Coleman, I believe, got away with another pass interference. I think it called before this. Obviously, not as huge of a scenario and not as high profile of a play. But... I, the reason I laid out all those points is because when we're counter arguing the people saying all oh, the game got stolen, I want to throw away I want to throw out the reasons that the Saints shouldn't have even been in that position. Because yeah, they got screwed in that call, but look, they had a chance to bury us in the first quarter. They didn't. They only came out with thirteen points. We get the ball at halftime, thirteen ten, we go three and out. Another chance for them to come out of the half. Usually kind of a scripted drive. Bury us again. They didn't. Then they got the ball in overtime. And they didn't do it there either. They threw an interception. The One of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history gets pressured, makes a bad throw, loses them the game. So those are what I want to throw out when people are calling this the game. Because I have seen the picture of those four missed penalties so many fucking times over the last 24 hours and guys as a fan base and i i love all of you uh anyone listening to this i love you uh you if you don't agree with my take feel free to call me on any social media you know where i'm at we you guys we i i'm gonna say you guys because i didn't was no part of this put together a petition to get this referee crew out of the game because you thought they were gonna screw us and all season, we've had a lot of fans just pointing out how bad the officiating has been towards the Rams. And has it? At times, yeah. It has. But it's so lame being the fan base that just complains about the refs constantly. I I hate when players do it on the field. My lead, like One of the most insufferable teams to watch ever was the Lob City LA Clippers because all of them just complained every five seconds to the refs. And this season as a whole... Every referee has been noticeably bad pretty much for whatever reason. I I just – when people are complaining about how that is what lost them the game and the Rams, it's bullshit that they're in the Super Bowl and they shouldn't be here. I want to throw out the fact that the Saints had plenty of chances to win this game and it doesn't come back – come down to one play, which Drew Brees realized in his post-game press conference and Sean Payton didn't because he wanted to hold no responsibility for losing this game. I – 
I don't know, man. I, I just hate being the fan base that complains about the refs. And after this game, we should definitely not be blaming the refs for anything. Because, yeah, we won this game. We didn't win this game just because of that play. But I think in the grand scheme of things, we probably got the better end of the stick on the officiating, even though it was terrible all around. And I just don't want to be that fan base that complains about the pat refs all the time. And especially here, we don't come off good when we're caught ch- chirping back at Saints fans after this win to complain about the refs on our side. I'm I'm just going to say that because clearly, yeah, it wasn't good on our side, but it was worse for them, especially in that moment. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was it was definitely worse for them. But at the same time, like, I, I'm just sick of hearing about this one call again. Uh, it's it just, you know, did you watch the game? Like, because in my opinion, if we're, if we're going to, you know, focus on one play, then you obviously didn't watch the game or you didn't want to watch the game because you didn't like the, the, the result of the win. So yeah, you're absolutely right. The win, uh, if there is, if you're just going to evaluate just this one play and not evaluate how a team played as a whole, then you're not watching the game at all. You're watching basically highlights. And that's what happened. You're having uh, people look at highlights to to kind of explain why their team lost or why their team won in this case. So in, in terms of, of the Saints had they had more than ample opportunity to win this game but in reality there was a reason why the Rams won this game and that's because uh you know we'll get to this a little bit later it's because the defense played their hearts out and we owe this victory to the defense uh we have a lot to talk about there so I won't get much more into that but I just want to put this to rest because honestly uh it, it was disappointing to see how many people are just, you know, focusing on this one play when it was just a damn good football game. And if you can't appreciate a good football game like that, you, you're just waiting for controversy. And I feel like in general, that's what we wait for as a society is just waiting for controversy to happen. And well, there's your blown call. Uh, so there's your controversy for this game. If you're a Saints fan, yeah, obviously. Complain. Complain to the moon. I mean, sure. But I, I think, you know, my thing is, too, is if it was the other way around and Roby Coleman got called for pass interference there and people were blaming the entire loss on Roby Coleman getting called for pass interference and ending the game, I would be saying this, that that's stupid, that it didn't – we put ourselves in that position, though. As much as the Saints had ample opportunities to put us away, we had ample opportunities to put them – Put them away. We had a lot of possessions in this game where we really just didn't do anything. You know, you come out after taking all the momentum to start the third quarter and you go three and out on, quite honestly, just three. I didn't like any of those play calls on that drive. You have another three and three and out later on in the in the quarter. And a multiple, more three and outs in this game than I could remember during the Sean McVay era. I It was... It was surprising at times to see how this offense played. And, you know, on the flip, so what I'm trying to say is 
it, it doesn't come down to one play. And even though it really did in this moment, if if they call a pass interference, the game's over probably, unless they blow the field goal, which is possible, or they fumble, or you know whatever that shit happens like that. I I think it's just silly to point to that one play, especially from you know people who watch the game who didn't have a dog in the fight are saying that they, they would have won the they should have won the game because of that one bad call. Like there's plenty of bad calls for both teams throughout the game, and just because one happened to happen that late in the game, you know it happens. It's a part of the NFL. If if Drew Brees threw the ball on the ground and fumbled, and we recovered it there and ended up winning a regulation. That wasn't the only reason they lost is because he fumbled. There's plenty of other reasons. It's <sighs> I don't know, man. It I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I this... just just one thing. If uh if Coleman gets called for that pass interference, you know, correctly, uh he could expect a lot of death threats, I think. You know. I, I I'm kinda glad for his sake that he didn't. Because, uh, you know, some people take this game a little too seriously at times. I mean, yeah, that's a stretch. But at the same time, like, obviously don't don't threaten people on social media, you know, or anything like that. It's it's a waste of time. But what the, what the fuck is he doing on that play, dude? He literally tackled him. Like, uh, it wasn't even a good... Hit him. It was a bad play call. It wasn't a good pass. It's not even a good player. He probably could have made the play without tackling him and wouldn't have been dealing with any of these controversies. Just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, Well, it, if he just turns his head around, he has a pick. It was such That's an easy play. And, like, part of the thing that's been drowned out by this, too, is why are they throwing that play? Why is that their play call? Why don't they just run the ball? And get another timeout. Because even if he catches that, he's probably not getting the first down. He's behind. From what I remember, he's behind the marker. You know, it might have been close, but you're not going for it in that situation. All that happens is the Rams have one less timeout. So, yeah, the pass interference is what would have blown the game. But even if he caught it or if Roby Coleman makes another a normal play on it, then, yeah, that's the end of the game. But, God, I... I I, I hope he plays well in the Super Bowl, but I'm not sure that's a guy that really should be should have a role on the team next year because he he got away with murder in this game man, multiple times. <laughs> not his best moment. But, John, you mentioned the defense. I think we can get to that. But before we do, how about you tell us about our other sponsor? Well, you know, he may not have liked uh, the controversy around this, but he certainly loved the fact that the Rams are have a spot in the Super Bowl. I'm talking about Sal Martinez, owner of the Golden Ram Barbershop. This guy hooks you up with an awesome haircut. And if you're in the Orange County area, give him a shout, man. You know, this is a guy that loves his Rams football. And let me tell you, I've actually personally been to his barbershop wall to wall Rams memorabilia. He basically built it as a shrine to the Rams when they left LA originally. Now that they're back, he's happier than ever. He's happier than ever now that he has a Super Bowl to look forward to. But yeah, if you're looking for a haircut in the Orange County area, hell, if you're in the SoCal at all, give this guy a call. His name is Sal Martinez. His number 714-894-RAMS or 7267. 
Uh, use the promo code Rams Talk. If you do, he knows that we sent you. I mean, hey, come on, guys. He turned Johnny into Magic Johnny. It just happens that way because it's all thanks to Sal Martinez. Not not a, not even joking. He's helped even Steve, and he hasn't even seen Steve yet. That's how good he is. <laughs> I'm better by association for knowing of him. <laughs> exactly. Steve is a much better person just by knowing who Sal Martinez is. But all joking aside, give this guy a call. He's by appointment only, so make sure you give him that call at 714-894-7267. And, uh, yeah, give him give him a visit. He's open Monday through Friday from 8 to 6 p.m., 7 to 4 p.m. Uh, on Saturday. Um, he is not working Sundays, guys. I mean, if he did work Sundays, he couldn't watch the Rams. And he's certainly not working February 3rd. So, again, give him a call. Set your appointment up. Look good. Amen to that. Um, so, you mentioned the defense. Obviously, had a great performance in this game. I mean, I, the offense didn't turn it on until the second quarter. The defense never really shut it off. Uh, if if they don't play as well as they do in the fourth in the first quarter, as they did, you know, making two big stops. And obviously, the first drive, they, they didn't do great. They let them down the field, but they came through when it mattered. On, and for the rest, for the rest, I mean, they did the best they could with what they were given. When you're on the field for that long in one quarter with no help from your offense, 13 points isn't that bad, especially when one of those was basically handed to them in their own territory. But, I mean, how did you feel about this performance, man? It was incredible to me. And you know, what stood out to you the most? You know, it... <laughs> It's kind of funny because I'm I'm writing a, a piece on this, so keep a lookout on Ramstalk.net uh, for uh, one of my articles coming out pretty soon. If you look at the differences between this game and um, the Week 9 matchup, the defense simply outperformed. Like, they did incredible. And one of the most noticeable things is... The defensive front, you know, Drew Brees was constantly, you know, getting pressured. And you could tell that this wasn't the same Drew Brees that the Rams saw in week nine. He wasn't getting in into a rhythm. He was making poor choices. And, you know, one of the reasons, too, is because the defensive line, you know, again, we see McDominick Sue and Michael Brockers emerge you know they 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 kind of disappeared from time to time but overall they played really well and even though Aaron Donald didn't register a sack technically he was constantly pressuring Drew Brees and you know they stopped Alvin Kamara also you know maybe not not through the passing game but I mean hey you know we're talking about two two of the best to play the game right now in Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara so, yeah, they're, they're going to make noise somewhere. But on the ground, I think Kamara had, like, just a ridiculously low number. I think he only had 15 yards on the ground. Yeah, eight carries for 15 yards. Yeah. And on top of that, one of the biggest outrageous numbers that we saw in Week 9 was Michael Thomas. And he he had over 200 yards. The first meeting, this game, 
was limited to 45 yards. This says a lot about, you know, who was there and who wasn't there in the first uh, the first meeting. It was just nice seeing the pressure, nice seeing uh, the coverage. You know, yeah, there was blown coverage here and there. But, you know, again, this is an elite offense. This is one of the best in the game. So to to see that limited was really good. In fact, um, kind of going back into the first quarter when the Rams were down 13 nothing, you know, a lot of people were nervous. I, I'm not going to lie. I had a little bit of nerves there too. But when I saw that the Rams, you know, held the Saints to only six points, especially after that, that turnover, I was thinking to myself, you know, the Rams may be okay here, you know. 13 nothing. while that's definitely not a start you want to see, it could have been a lot worse. And because of that, I think the Rams win this football game because of it. If they, you know, were the same defense that they were in the first meeting, this this game is over in the first quarter. It, 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 I really believe that. Um, you know, seeing Aqib Tlaib, uh, you know, there in coverage – while he wasn't perfect either, he was one of the reasons why we have this win, honestly. You know, linebackers stepping up. I was my boy Dante Fowler, you know, I yeah. I was I was been waiting for him to have his moment. He had his moment in this game. And if it wasn't for Fowler, you know, John Johnson doesn't have that really unusual pick. It was not the prettiest pick I've ever seen in my life. But it was awesome to see him make that catch. I did not think he was going to make that catch as he was falling backwards. But, hey, I'll take it. And uh, I'm sure all of uh, Rams Nation will take it. It, It's harder than it looks on that interception, man. I mean, when he got into position, obviously the ball falls into his lap slowly. Any, Any player on the field should be able to catch that. But... You know, he's going backwards. He has to backpedal himself into that position. You know, there's another guy there who also isn't there, who doesn't get to the ball before him. Uh, It was, you know, an easy catch, but the execution on getting there, kudos to John Johnson, man. Feels like any, every big interception we've had this year has come from him almost entirely. I remember the one that Akeem Tlaib had in the Eagles game, but Johnson has been great. And yeah, it's, I wouldn't say I felt good after the first quarter, but I was more, you know, pleasantly surprised with the lack of points we gave up and not optimistic about where it was going to go from there. Thankfully, I was wrong. We came out. We scored a couple times. We got there. But, yeah, it's there's not really a player on this defense that you can sit here and complain about except, one, LaMarcus Joyner, not his best day, and, two, Nickel Roby Coleman, no, <laughs> what can we, what we've said what needs to be said about him. I think we talked about before this game that we have no answer for Alvin Kamara. We've talked about that honestly for the past two years, and um, yeah, man, we never had an answer for Alvin Kamara. It wasn't going to change overnight. And for I tweeted about it during the game. I said if they just gave the ball to Kamara every play then they'd beat us. And they listened to me at the start of the first half. They ran the same play over and over again. No matter who was guarding Kamara, it wasn't working because it was always like Littleton or I'm pretty sure John Franklin Myers caught him on a wheel route. And if you get 
Kamara and Franklin Myers matched up in a on a wheel route. It's a goddamn miracle that Kamara didn't score a touchdown. So that's kudos to him for making that stop. And then yeah, everybody else. I mean, you look at the receiver stats outside of Ted Ginn, nobody besides Kamara had over fifty yards. Ted Ginn had fifty-eight, but forty-three of them came on that one play near the end of the game that we've already mentioned with Demarcus Joyner. Michael Thomas is a ghost in this game. Uh, the other guy, you know, Traquan Smith, nothing. It's credit to Akeem Tlaib and the champion of Gumbo Bowl, Marcus Peters, who I was not very kind about last week. And, man, he showed up to play. Tlaib obviously showed up to play. Fowler, as you mentioned, he's probably not here next year because he's going to get paid because he showed up to play in this game. And then, of course, Aaron Donald and especially Ndamukong Sue and Michael Brockers hounding that defensive front all game. You know, shutting down the running game for the most part against the best running back duo in the league. They showed the stats on it. I don't think it's an argument. <laughs> what more can you say, man? This this defense played full throttle the entire game. They gave up ten points after the first quarter. So really, when they weren't on the field nonstop, they actually held their own. Really, just suffocated this Saints offense the whole game. I mean, you look at what the Saints did in the second half. They had one real drive to start the third quarter, and that was it. Punt, punt, field goal, interception. That's it. The Rams, they did what they needed to do, and if this defense does this against Tom Brady in two weeks, I, I think I think we got it, man. It's It was a highly encouraging performance. Without a doubt, I, I think uh, if, the, if this is – and and really the the overall performance. I mean, obviously there are a few areas that could have played better. We've kind of touched on the running game, but overall the overall performance of the team. I think that if they played exactly like this, we got the Super Bowl. And I, I kind of said this kind of earlier in the year that I think our biggest challenge in the playoffs would be the Saints, which so far it has been. And I, you know, I kind of said this from the start, you know, whoever wins the NFC is going to win the Super Bowl. So uh, I really hope my prediction is true because that's the case. We're going to bring home the Lombardi Trophy, Steve. I think, you know, we're the better team. And on paper, we're the better team. But we're going, you know, it, that doesn't that goes out the window when you're going up against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, and you know we have two weeks before the Super Bowl. We're gonna we're gonna get into detail on this matchup obviously next week, and I'm sure plenty of our shows on the Ramstock Radio will get heavily into detail on this. So keep your eyes out. But we got we still got some things to wrap up on this game before we get out of here. Sean McVay's coaching in this game, I would like to talk about um, one minor complaint I had was that you know we come out of the third quarter and we run a uh we give Robert Woods a jet sweep which did not work the entire game and we did it multiple times I'm gonna look it up just to make sure I'm not being dramatic we uh we only did it twice but neither worked (laughs) so I'm being a little dramatic but we run three plays where we try to get Robert Woods the ball and not good spots and none of them worked and then we punt and I like that just a small complaint. Sean McVay is not. I would do anything he asked of me ever if he ever contacted me. 
but the obviously the the big play in this game from Sean McVay and his decision was Johnny, we've multiple times on this podcast we've talked about how there were situations where I would have preferred the Rams to play a little conservative and not, you know, make go for it in a situation where they did and it ultimately it worked out a couple times. It didn't work out in our last matchup with the Saints due to a a bad call. Shocker. Um <laughs> but in this game, we had a fourth and in inches on the goal line to punch it in the end zone. We're down twenty to seventeen. And he kicks it. And honestly, I think it was the right call. You know, I've always said you put the points on the board, especially when you're losing, if that play, if we get shut stuff there, you know, who the Saints they'll have ample opportunity to run the clock out and win the game. But McVay, he takes the easy points and honestly on the road I think it was the right call but I was shocked that he actually called it because all season his MO has been to not take those points there and that just kind of caught me off guard and obviously we're all happy with the results today but I mean how'd you feel about that well before I answer your question I'll, I'll ask a question of my own would you spot Sean McVay on the sidelines since you do anything for him? Because that's my dream job. That's that's officially <laughs> my dream job. If you guys haven't seen it, look up the video about um yeah, coach spotters or something like that. There's a video of some guy who literally gets paid to just follow Sean McVay around and make sure he doesn't walk into reps on the sideline. Uh my dream job, dude. Yeah. It's actually kind of amazing because you know, McVeigh just kind of looks like he, he doesn't even realize that he has a spotter on him. Like, he just goes about his business and like, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I shouldn't step on the field like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, vote for Steve. But, uh, okay, all serious, uh, all back to, you know, seriousness here. Um, personally, I thought it was the right call. And if you're in a room with a bunch of passionate Ramley, that is not a popular call. Let me tell you. Uh, I was the only one in the room that agreed with the call. I had a bunch of screaming people at the TV saying, what are you doing? And a couple of other unkind things. Um, for, you know, making this decision to settle for a field goal. And I know the passionate football fan and all of us says let's punch it in but here's the thing we just finished uh, talking about how the ground game wasn't working efficiently and if you're passing at this point um you have a very very high risk here and again yeah there was time left and you know the arguments that i got from my ramily was that well, they would have the ball on, you know, inches uh, on their own goal line. So that could set up a safety. In theory, yes. In a perfect world, absolutely. But this is an elite offense. They're not going to surrender a safety at this point. You know, it, it, they may not get very far, but all they need is a couple of conversions at that point, And the Rams lose this game. So while it may have not been the sexiest move out there, you know, I completely agreed with this call because 
you know, it was the safest route. And it got us to to overtime, you know, in the end of it all by making this decision. So, you know, again, could could they have scored a touchdown? Sure, it's possible, but it was also possible that they did not score at all. And that's not something you want to do losing against one of the best teams in the NFL. That's basically all I got to say about that. <laughs> if, if it's a tie game, I think they, they might go for it. But I you brought up the running thing. And yeah, last week when, you know, Sean McVay had a chance to either make it a two-possession game with a field goal or a much more difficult two-possession game with a touchdown, he opted to go for the touchdown because you know, C.J. Anderson was running over everybody in that game and the odds of him not getting one yard were slim. Well, T.J. Anderson had a couple opportunities to punch it in from close range in this game, especially there, and uh, he didn't convert as well as he was last week. And I I wouldn't have been super confident if they went for it, and the fact that they're losing means the Saints get a couple first downs and the game's over. Uh, if you tie it there, your defense has been dominating pretty much all game. You put the faith in them. Let, let them... Let them see what what they can do, and it it worked out ultimately. So it, it was a difficult call, but yeah, I'm with you. I think it was actually the right call, and I think we can wrap up the show here with a quick shout out and talk about our man Greg the motherfucking leg Zerline, an absolute god. Since he's gotten here, I don't think he's ever come up short on a field goal. Has he missed him? Yeah. He's missed a lot. Not as much recently, but he's definitely had his fair share of misses. But it, uh, Derek mentioned on the podcast yesterday that he thought they should have punted instead of taking the 57-yard field goal, which kind of blew my mind because this man could hit from 65 yards. It's just a matter of if he can get the accuracy there. And I think either way, if we punt it or miss a field goal, we're probably not winning the game at that point. But my God, man. You could have made that from 70. I, we, I've we, i seen many fan bases perish in the last couple of years because of just bad field, goal, bad field goals and bad field goal kickers. And we are lucky to have this man. And also a quick shout-out to Johnny Hecker as well, who this was not a good snap on the game-winning field goal. And he made do with it, and Zerline nailed it from 57. I mean, ice in that guy's veins in his legs, man. Man, the the Golden Leg, Legatron, Greg the Leg, all the good freaking names that you can ever come up with needs to be on Greg the Leg's airline because he kept his composure in this game and you know he he was he was asked to do a lot. You know, 57 yards, you know, it, it's funny because for me, you know, 57 yards I know he can make it, you know, and make it with ease, which he did. As you said, he probably could have nailed it from 70 yards. You know, it was that good of a kick. So for me, when he attempted this 57-yard field goal, I had no doubt in my mind. I mean, I guess there's always a chance, but I know the kind of kicker that Greg the leg is. So in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, absolutely take this field goal because I know he can make it and win the game. And that's kind of the thing too. If you put just about any other kicker in this league, I'm not so confident. Like 
you know, let's flip the switch here. Will Lutz, who isn't that bad of a kicker, in fact, he's pretty decent, um, I wouldn't be as confident if it was Will Lutz kicking this field goal, you know, the kicker from uh, the Saints. And that, that says a lot. You know, it shows how much faith that we have in a guy like Greg Zerloin, and he deserves every bit of praise. And to tell you the truth, I don't know if you're planning on doing this uh, later on, Steve, about giving a game ball. Uh, but I, I'm I'm seriously giving this to Greg Zerloin because he truly deserved this game ball. He won this game for us, and he deserves every bit of praise. And one last thing before we, you know, call it quits here, I have to give props to Johnny Hecker not only on managing that, um, you know, kind of botched, you know, snap. Yeah, we even also- mentioned the the pass. Yeah. <laughs> that's the how much true... shit we had to talk about i mean jesus that great call uh great pass it brought us back to life man exactly the true backup quarterback of the rams is johnny hecker who who threw you know a pretty good ball there to get us past you know that fourth down conversion and really just set the tone for the rest of the game because he he basically pulled us out of the rut you know the you know that drive ended up in a field goal but still kind of gave the confidence that the rams really needed at that point to you know convert and you know just make some plays and play basic offense so kudos to johnny hecker as well i am very happy with the special teams play in this game you know and again my boy greg the leg kudos Johnny Hecker was better at his second and third jobs in this game than he was at his at his first. Because to be honest, he wasn't really his points weren't great, but he, he was a huge part of this win. It, that pass was perfect, and shout out to Sam Shields, uh, who's caught those a couple times this year. He's a better special teams receiver than Josh Reynolds. We can officially declare. Uh, <laughs> no, no disrespect to Reynolds, man. The guy played a hell of a game, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, just, just you know, your, your callbacks to previous episodes for those longtime listeners. Um, yeah, man, Zerline, he's not perfect from long range because he's not. He's, he's a great kicker. I wouldn't trade him for any kicker in the league. He's not the most accurate kicker in the league, though. He's eight to twelve from forty yards plus this year, which is still very good. And I think indoors for the win to win the game, you gotta take that chance and. Uh, I I don't think punting was on anyone's mind in that situation, but yeah, he you mentioned game balls. I think he deserves it. And I think we could throw one to Jared Goff as well for keeping us in the game. And then uh, yeah, John Johnson too. Maybe he gets one as well. Um, yeah, it's I love Greg Zerline. I bought a Greg Zerline player tee that has a Super Bowl logo on it last night. So. Uh, knock on wood that he doesn't miss a game-winning field goal in the Super Bowl, so I don't. I can put that away. Um, you know, if we lose, I hope we don't lose. I'd still wear the shirt, but it would definitely be pretty brutal if I had a shirt of a kicker who missed a game-winning field goal. But I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to get you a Sean Mannion shirt too. Please you know, don't. I, I, I just for you, Steve. Just for you. <laughs> oh man. Uh yeah, I mean, we'll be back next week. We're going to preview this game. Uh, the best part about being in the Super Bowl is that we don't have to be pretend we're excited about the Rams playing in the Pro Bowl this year. 
Uh, Johnny, I mean, you got you got any final thoughts for us? Uh, what's a Pro Bowl? <laughs> we had four of them. Ah, yeah, that that oh, that's right. The game that yeah, they put they kind of play football out there. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can schedule that in. Uh, I I might be you know have a hair appointment. I might call Sal Martinez, uh, because uh. I think I think that's better. Oh, oh it's on a Sunday. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Man, I I don't care about the Pro Bowl at all. So this is kind of a stupid take, but I I liked it better after the Super Bowl. Uh, it gives you more of a reason to watch it because you're not going to see football again for a couple months. And I think too, um, like a guy like Corey Littleton, he made the Pro Bowl. He's not going to get play to play it this year. I'm sure he was jacked to be to be in the Pro Bowl, and I'm sure. Even if we lost in the Super Bowl, he would have went. He would have had a good time. He would have played in the game. Probably tried harder than half the people in the game. But I don't know. I, I liked it better when it was at the end of the season and not during the, the down week. But uh, I I'm guess it, why it isn't. I don't know why. And it yields more Pro Bowlers because there's plenty of Rams and Patriots in the Pro Bowl that are going to have to be replaced. Uh, good for Christian McCaffrey, who's probably going to be in the Pro Bowl now. Um because Doug really can't play the infamous running back that used to play for the Rams and apparently doesn't Todd Gurley. Yeah. I don't know why they moved it, but Oh, well, and they moved out of Honolulu too. I'm sure the players would have liked a a free trip to Hawaii. Is it? Oh, I think it is it in Honolulu this year. It might be. God, we're Uh, really showing how little we care about this. Yeah. Yeah. But didn't they, um, no, it's in Orlando. It makes me feel better. Like, I'm sure, uh, like, players have to go to Disney World all the time. I feel like they'd rather go to Hawaii when it's a vacation, pretty much, to go play football. But I love Orlando. Universal Studios is shit. So if I ever make a Pro Bowl, I will go. <laughs> Well, I, if I'm in the area, I, I'm going to Disney World, man. Uh, don't mess with Mickey. I forgot your Disney truther over there. Hey, 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 don't don't make me get Mickey to get that <laughs> pimp hand glove on you, man. I, he'll 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 slap the hell out of you and rob you blind with his uh with the, with your wallet. Well, yeah, aren't, he'll, he'll aren't they putting um the Marvel uh, attractions in the in Disneyland because they have the rights? Uh yeah, they have a few like they have um uh they have a few I think that are being planned and uh they got the yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy ride cuz they can't in um Orlando cuz even though they own Marvel now for some reason Marvel sold Universal Studios the lifetime rights to Marvel for theme parks in that area. So, even though <laughs> Disney literally owns the company, Universal still has their little Marvel area of uh islands of adventure which makes me laugh (laughs) well if you're still listening to me and johnny and i talk about amusement parks then i we appreciate it and of course follow us on twitter you follow talk at rams talk at talk rams and follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash rams talk find the rams talk room on there if you disagreed with my referees rant feel free to call me out I don't care. I will confront you. I, I love you, though. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Steve Ribeiro. You can find Johnny at Johnny Five Not Six. And of course, you can follow our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, and Spotify. For Johnny Gomez, Steve Ribeiro, we will talk to you next week and get ready for the big game. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.